I wanted to read you again the words from Mary Oliver mm -hmm. because I want them to speak to the wildness not of the wild geese but the wildness in you. I want you to step from this place a little bit wilder, a little bit less tamed, a little bit more open to the vividness of living. We so misunderstand that word wildness. We always think of it as some version of disobedience. And perhaps it is. Perhaps it's an a, a disobedience to the notion that you should remain small. It doesn't mean that you should engage in harmful or toxic activity. Of course not. That's a very cheap version of wildness because wildness actually means natural. Natural. You know, we say, I'm going out into the wild. What do we mean? We mean we're going out into the natural the expressive, the intrinsically beautiful, not the cultivated, but the expressive beauty of life. Yeah? And couldn't we all do with a bit more of that? Really, we could. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to feel that every day we were becoming more natural more in our own quiet ways or our exuberant ways or whatever ways are our ways, just a little freer in our expression of the glory of living. We are very familiar with the suffering. We are very, very familiar. And we will never leave it behind because if we did, it would catch up with us at some point or another but we can meet it from a fuller place. <clears throat> and we can meet it from the place, the perfection of imperfection, the perfection of new discovery, because you've not been in this day before. Yeah? We're all amateurs. We're doing things <coughs> for the love of it, not just for the rewards. Yeah? Let's be amateurs in our living, always willing to learn from one another, always willing to um, regroup and say, is there a more loving way? Or even is there a wilder way, a more natural way? So let me just read this to you again. After our days of being together, you do not have to be good. <laughs> and bowing with great respect to all the people who told you you had to be good in order to be loved. Because that was a terrible message that they received and that they passed to you. That you had to be good in order to be loved, not least... By God. <coughs> What's the name of the poem? It's called Wild Geese. You do not have to walk on your knees. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body Love what it loves. Even that would be such an achievement, wouldn't it? <coughs> to be able to love what we love. This is our most fundamental spiritual practice. To love what we love. And to let our vision of what we love continuously expand until it encompasses the entire known and unknown universes. Whoa. Do we dare?
Of course we do, wild ones. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Because we are brave enough, and we are understanding enough, and we are courageous enough, and we recognize we are in this together, are we not? And if I can't tell you about my despair and I can't hear yours, then I am too lonely to bear it. Meanwhile, the world goes on, and how reassuring that is. So sometimes when the tide is out for one, the tide is in for another. And if the tide is in for us, we are readier to be with the person for whom the tide is out. There is something quite magnificent in that also. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers, and the bush we have here in New Zealand all around us. The bush. I'm just thinking now also of the colours of Australia, which I only met those those colours of Australia, after all my years of living in Australia, I only met the colours of Australia when Paul and I began our relationship. So he's also given me the colours of Australia, and I'm thinking of that as I read this poem. Meanwhile, the wild birds, which is also the wild bird of our soul, meanwhile, the wild birds high in the clean blue air are heading home again. And where is home? Home, of course, is the heart, the metaphysical heart, the physical heart. Come home to the heart. Come home to the heart. Come home to the heart. The doors to the heart are always open. And also the soul knows its own direction. Please trust that. Whoever you are, whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. Now, That is the most exquisite of teaching too because what she's saying there is that the world of matter, the world that we can touch and count and quantify and experience through the senses is also open to consciousness which we perceive through our intelligence and imagination, through our intellectual gifts and the gifts of instinct and understanding. Yeah? I'm coming to the well mind because this is so illustrative of it. Yeah? Where mind meets matter and matter meets mind. calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. Now, isn't that interesting? She doesn't just say tender, pat, pat, because sometimes that call is harsh, not in the sense of harming harsh, but wake up, wake up harsh sometimes. You know, think of the pearl. I'm wearing pearl. Think of how pearls are made. Think of your pearls, think of yourselves being, every single one of you, welcome and unwelcome, jewels on a single string, as Krishna promised Arjuna. All those people who we know are at very best misguided, 
They are on the same string that we are. They are also jewels in the sight of Krishna. Their dual potential also exists. But the dual potential we most need to pay attention to is the dual potential of this life, this life of our own. How are we growing that acceptance and exhilaration. Acceptance and exhilaration. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Not announcing to you my place, not announcing to you Hillary's place or Rod's place or Michelle's place or Grace's place or Deborah's place or Pat's place, Berging's place. Leonie's place, Joanne's place. No, announcing your place in the family of things. And the absence of any one of us would be felt in the family of things. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to give you some ideas about the well mind and then when we have our final Q&A for this retreat because of course you'll go on with your own inner Q&A way beyond this retreat so when we come to our final shared Q&A for this retreat I would like you to bring questions around the well mind, most of all. Um, when is that, Hilary? After dinner tonight. After? At 7.30. No, it's, we're having Q&A tomorrow morning. Oh, the well mind Q&A. So we're going to have any Q&A tonight after dinner? Oh, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. Are we? Are we? Yeah. All right. Yeah. We are. Yeah. All right. We are. Well, then we might have some Q&A tonight and we might have some in the morning. celebration in the morning. <laughs> All right. So, so the quality that I've already spoken to you of, which is in a way the most allowing quality of the well mind that you have already, Every one of us has all of these qualities already, at least in potential. So the very first quality that I named for you the other day is openness. When we shut the doors of the mind, when we say, I already have all the answers, this is all I need to know, we are subduing our aliveness. Our aliveness emerges from engaging with today. Yeah? It is, that is the essential experience of aliveness. So we might think that aliveness is the first... Um, Con, constituent, consistency, con, something or other, of the well mind, the first quality, expression. But I actually think that the aliveness needs to arise from an openness. Because someone could appear to be alive, 
But if the mind is closed to the possibility of the new, of the fresh, of the inquiring, of the curious, of the caring, then it's a very partial aliveness. It is neither harsh nor exciting nor even very consoling because it probably lives in fear. The closed mind is, generally speaking, closed Closed to the full realization of the suffering in this world, but also closed to the full realization of the joy and potential for healing. So the closed mind often believes that it meets suffering with more suffering, that it meets fear with the engendering of more fear. I, I don't need to go into all of that because we see it rehearsed every single day of our lives. So, uh, an incredible mantra to go forward with is, I am alive. I am alive. Mm. Truly, I am alive. And the resolve that one will be alive <coughs> to the final breath. Yeah? And then, I am still alive. <laughs> I'm leaving the body. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about that. Just It's either fine or it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, but remembering that the, you know, it's so tempting, isn't it? It's always tempting to have a little bit of dogmatic reassurance. <laughs> but I hope not to provide it. Um, I would hope that any one of you would give me a good tap on the shoulder if I seem tempted to provide it. <laughs> I think there are several here who'd be happy to do that. Um, <laughs> um, remember that I began this whole project of the well mind um, by asking myself the question, how is it possible to become ever weller to the very final breath no matter what is happening with the body, and in a way also no matter what is happening with the mind, although that's harder for me or any of us really to fully understand because we do not know what is happening with the mind when consciousness or um, the, the familiar cognitive processes have declined. And I just want to say something that Many, many, many years ago when I was still um, at the Women's Press, uh, some of you may not know that uh, I lived in England for a very long time, 16 years, and during that time, which was a time of, of um, a great upsurge of social justice movements, and during that time it was my incredible good fortune, which was sometimes very harsh, as well as exciting, to um, found a quite radical feminist publishing house called the Women's Press. And um, we published a number of, um, you know, astonishingly interesting women who were really saying, well, you may think the world is like this, but actually, let's look again. <coughs> In other words, this is, this is the message of our becoming. Let's look again. Let's look again. Let's look again. Isn't it? That may be your reality, but it doesn't quite fit with mine. Let's look again. Let's look again. Should we just assume that you know, privilege should be separated out like this or justice should be meted out like that or that it's okay to do this to the earth or that to this group of people and so on? Let's look again. Let's look again. So, one of the great writers that we published then, at that time, fairly early on, was an African-American woman called Toni Cade Bambara. And she wrote a book called The Salt Eaters. And funnily enough, I wrote a novel myself years and years later called Tasting Salt. Because the Buddha said, 
just as the oceans have but one taste, which is the taste of salt, so the seeking also has one flavor, which is the taste of freedom. Yeah? Anyway, back to Tony K. Bambara. You know, I probably read, I'm such a greedy reader, and um, I've probably read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of novels since, so it's absolutely testimony to the power of Tony K. Bambara that I remember this scene right at the beginning. A woman is sitting on a stool, feeling overwhelmed by her own suffering, and which is very real, and the suffering of our world, which is very real, <coughs> and her inner turmoil and confusion. Yeah? And someone else is saying to her, whatever her name was, my beautiful one, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to be well? It's an extremely challenging question. And I've never, ever forgotten it. Do you really want to be well? <clears throat> so it immediately invites us, of course, into a very open-minded, tentative, exploratory understanding of what wellness is. So, That would be another quality of the well mind. The power to question. Yeah? The power to question. The quality that I spoke to you about the other day and which I've spoken to you about many, many times in these recent days is the quality of consciousness intrinsically, utterly aligned with conscience. I don't need to say more about that right at this moment because I've spoken about it at length. That as we become increasingly awake, so we become increasingly self-responsible and we also notice with greater clarity where our responsibility also decreases. So we're not taking on the rescuing of the whole world, which is quite exhausting, but we are also responsible for noticing our effect on the world. Do you understand? Yeah? So we don't walk around with our backs broken because we cannot do everything about everything. We stand up straight and look at what we can do and we do that to the best of our ability. Yeah? We don't let ourselves be so overwhelmed by all that there is to do because, and this is another quality of the well mind, we are beginning to perceive that cooperation is also intrinsic to the well mind. Cooperation. Cooperation defies all the principles of hierarchy. Doesn't it? Yeah. We, and it's very hard to learn cooperation. And interestingly enough, it hadn't quite occurred to me until this very moment. One of the one of the elements that we had some trouble with at the women's press was around cooperation, because at the one and same time um, we were wanting to sort of re-examine the the processes as well as the outcomes of hierarchy, at the same time, we were differently suited to responsibility. 
<laughs> in fact, there was a really funny cultural aspect to this too, which I can tell you because I'm giving this um, um, retreat in New Zealand, which was that at one point, every woman who worked at the women's press, other than I, who was you know, the managing director, and responsible for the money that we borrowed from the bank. We had no capital. We borrowed with the um, guarantee of, in a sense, a benefactor. Um, and, you know, that's always complicated. Um, so at, at one point, I was the only person who hadn't been to Oxford or Cambridge and I was the only one, I used to say, who could tie a parcel. <laughs> in other words, the privileges of education sometimes get in the way. And in New Zealand, you know, when I was growing up, and I guess it was a, much the same for most of you who've grown up in New Zealand and most of you who grew up in Australia or Grenada, that you had to get on and do things as well as learn things. It was, you know, it's one of the privileges of a more, maybe a kind of robustness that came from our, you know, forebears. Um, all my grandparents in one way or another lived on the land. I mean, you know what it is to get on and do things. You don't just assume someone else will always, you know, the practicalities of, of life. So cooperation is very challenging to the well mind, however well it is. We are often inclined to a little too much or a little too little. So that takes us to another quality of the well mind, which is participation. Participation. Not just being, um, not just uh, being the audience, but participating. Would you all like to just stand up and stretch your bodies for a moment or two? Just for a moment, and just a good stretch, because we're not going to be here for a long time. But I just felt that was a need in the room. So participation also goes to a kind of self-responsibility that you are also participating in outcome. So it comes down to conversation as well as activity in your congregations or your communities or your um, um, workplaces. It, participation and cooperation also and very fundamentally and powerfully begins at home. How are you participating in the conversations at home? That doesn't mean to say you've got to have you know, serious conversations every day, but are you asking with some passion and meaning and real interest, how are you? Are your, have your questions of one another, has your interest in one another become kind of dulled by familiarity? Have you become dulled by familiarity, even with your own thought processes? How are you waking yourself up? How are you hearing the call of the wild geese? Harsh and exciting. Yeah? There are many, many people in our world who are stuck in a tiny little circle of conversational possibilities. And it's neither harsh, it's only harsh in the negative sense, and it's very unexciting. Yeah? It's very unexciting for them. Or, they, or they've lost the urge, if they ever had it, really to participate creatively, to allow their awesome curiosity to rise up and really want to know. Yeah? And, you know, our, the conditioned mind or the mind that is conditioned by convention has a lot to answer for. You know, that we require people to um, respond to a whole lot of I don't know, uh, routine thoughts rather than expansive thoughts. 
rather than expressive thoughts, rather than inquiring thoughts. So those are, those are also attributes of the, of the well mind. Um, I, I'm not going to give you all of these because there is a great, uh, <laughs> a great lot. Um, but the well mind also questions, as we have done regularly throughout this retreat, questions of identity. Who am I? Who is participating? Who is hearing the call of the wild geese? Um, who is cooperating? Yeah? So I'll remind you again of the question that's at the back of Seeking the Sacred. The, the young Francis, the, be, the becoming Francis asked, Who am I? God. And who are you? Yeah? Who am I? And we could add to that each day. And what do I want to embody? Yeah? How do I want to be this day? I found this really beautiful quote from Jack Cornfield, who I think is one of the very skilled teachers of our time. And skilled because he notices his own weaknesses skillfully and skilled because he notices his strengths skillfully and accepts the wholeness of the whole. So here he says, the most important gift of expanded consciousness is a startling shift of identity. I love that word startling. We need to be a little bit startled not to just slide back into that rather discouraging view of who we are. There are many invitations to be discouraged. It takes quite a lot of energy to be encouraging of oneself and others. I know it takes quite a lot of energy because I do it. Yeah? And sometimes in encouraging others, I am encouraged. Not encouraging others from a, from a kind of um, Pollyanna-ish there, there. But encouraging others with full memory of the tides. Yeah? Of the moon and of the sun. That we are in the universe and the universe is in us. Then in relation to identity, I also found this extraordinary prayer from the Judaic tradition, which of course I love very much. As a young woman leaving New Zealand, as a very young woman leaving New Zealand, I went to Israel not so much because I was seeking Judaism at that time, but because I was seeking what I believed was the perfection of the socialist kibbutz. <laughs> of course, I found something else, but socialism was my ideal. Yeah? And in many ways, it still is. So here's the prayer. Very, very, very short. Pray as if everything depends upon God. Act as if everything depends upon you. Pray as if everything depends upon God. Act as if everything depends upon you. Now, isn't that the most astonishing teaching of Tikkun Olam that each of us is here to play our part, but not someone else's part. I can't play Francis's part. I can't play Jennifer's part. I can't play Robert's part. I can't play Emily's part. I can, with good heart, play my part. Yeah? So that teaches us that. It also teaches us 
something else which both Paul and I have again rediscovered through the writings of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, which is that in this healing of ourselves and others, in this celebrating of life, in this consolation that we are ready to give, in this joy that we are willing to express, not only are we cooperating with God, but God is cooperating with us. Yeah? Or the divine force, or the force of life, whatever you want to call it. Yeah? Life itself cooperates with us. Yeah. So you begin to see the interweaving that no quality is separate one from another, that the well mind is like a prism, isn't it? We catch the light from one, we catch the light from another, we catch the light from another, and we perceive it all through our willingness, which again is a quality of the well mind. But willingness on its own is not the quality. The quality needs to be goodwill. Goodwill. It's highly refined goodwill. We can be very willing to be massively rich in material possessions which I understand you can't take with you, though God knows people try hard. <laughs> yeah? We could be willing to sacrifice everyone we love for a bit of, what, fame, glory, pleasure. Yeah? We could be willing to be profoundly distracted from who we are. We can be willing to do lots of things. So the willing the, the um, uh, awakening of the will needs to be discerning. Discernment is also a quality of the well mind in order that we may hold goodwill towards others and hold goodwill towards ourselves. Yeah? And when we catch ourselves, therefore, speaking to ourselves, disrespectfully, we ask ourselves, where is good will? Wish the best for others and also for yourself. What does that mean? Wish the best for others. It doesn't mean treating yourself like a baby or like an adolescent or like a partial person it doesn't it doesn't either mean bringing rebukes it means bringing compassion and wisdom so that brings us to the next quality of the well mind which is clarity that we're willing to see things as they are which sometimes isn't very comfortable. <coughs> and I found a, a couple of very, very good quotes around that clarity. One is from Jung. Perhaps I myself and the enemy who must be loved. And there are moments, not maybe enemies too strong, you might be saying. Hmm. There are some parts of ourselves that we must love into fuller existence. Yeah? That would be a, a way to say it. 
There are parts of myself I must love into fuller existence. So, so we catch this through speech. <coughs> we catch this through the way that we speak to ourselves and describe ourselves and our situations to other people. Yeah? Right speech is one of the Eightfold Paths. Um, and we really need to listen. We can be very unconscious about how we're speaking, what we speak about routinely, and whether we are becoming more fluent in the languages of encouragement and appreciation. When I wrote um, Everyday Kindness, I was quite astonished to discover that William James, who was the brother of Henry James, the very well-known novelist. <coughs> William James, James is a great figure, one of the sort of early great figures of psychology. And he said, humans above all else want to be appreciated. And I thought that was very, very wise and very, very true. We could say, I want to be loved, but actually, how, how is it expressed? Appreciation is very, very fundamental. Appreciation also of our own efforts. Especially in the workplace. People suffer incredibly in the workplace because they're failing to be appreciated. Mm. Noticed. That's right. Noticed. It's, it's the you matter mm. message mm. and that what you're doing matters, mm. isn't it? Mm. But we notice that we are not being appreciated we are slower to notice, we are not appreciating others with enough energy and creativity. Yeah? We also need to become much more fluent in the languages of appreciation. Yeah? There's no good hovering over the wrongs that have been done to you without thinking, maybe that other person sitting there. And sometimes also you would be so surprised that somebody you think has a much more power or self-confidence or um, status than you are, who does not need your words, mm -hmm. how touched they'll be when you say um, something really thoughtful. I found it so helpful when you move the meeting towards, you know, such a fruitful conclusion or whatever it is, um, I I so I so value the clarity with which you explained that to me, mm. or I really see how much effort has gone in to preparing this conference. Whatever it is, yeah. We often send appreciation down the line. I mean, I know we're all cooperating and there is no line. But unfortunately, in the con conditioned mind, there's a line. Yeah? And we're often far slower to appreciate up the line or where we think someone else has what we should have or where we think someone else is our rival because there's only this tiny little bit and if they get it, then I won't have it. Generosity asks us to be appreciative, full stop. Because, of course, generosity is an absolutely essential attribute of the well-mind. And it arises because it appreciates in the verbal sense of that. It comprehends that with all the qualities that sustain us, there are no limits. If I take some, if I take some joy or forgiveness or courage from the universal pool, there is always enough for you. 
which takes me almost to the end of the list as I'm going to give it today. Of course, the list is endless. Um, the feeling of enoughness. Now, every craving, every grasping, not least after enlightenment, but also all the graspings and cravings that we know of in our outer world and that we know of in our inner world. Yep. But those are the graspings and cravings that we see lived out in the greed, in the lust for conquest, in the lust for forgetfulness through the familiar addictions, the forgetfulness of who I am and who you are, the, uh, well, I don't need to name them. Driving all of them is an unwillingness to be full as well as empty, or an incomprehension that one can be full as well as empty. So I'm just going to tell you very, very briefly the beautiful story that began at Mana. There are quite a few Mana stories in Seeking the Sacred, but I'll just tell it to you in this moment. Because not enoughness is also very much part of our human condition and it was an Easter retreat some years ago now and we were towards the end of the retreat and we had a, um, a young German woman who'd been living in New Zealand for some time and she'd been to a number of retreats with us and her name is Kirsten and um, she spoke and she spoke in a quite, she was a very conscious, very intelligent person, but she spoke about herself in a way that was not entirely comprehending of who she was, it, even somewhat not disrespectful. But just not fully comprehending of who she was. And in one of those moments of spontaneity, which I think is also a quality of the well-mind, actually, don't you? Mm -hmm. Spontaneity. Mm -hmm. um, so I stood up, or I spoke to her, I think. I think I just spoke to her first and said, Kirsten, you are enough. It was not my inspiration. And then we all stood and in turn... I spoke to each of us and to myself. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. And of course it's almost unbearable because in those moments we also remember the agonies of our insufficiency. Yeah. So in those moments of insufficiency, allow the well-mind to swell with awareness of the tides. You do not have to invite the tide to come in again. The ocean to come in again. You do not even have to invite the oceans to part so that you can walk through them. You do not even have to invite the oceans to stand, to have a steadiness and a solidity so that you can walk upon them. Yeah? Those are all miracles that we don't even need in our everyday lives. We can simply know that the fullness 
will return and that it is a matter of perception and of experience. It's our perception at some moments that we are insufficient and there are moments for which we are insufficient. There are moments for which we are insufficient. So that brings me to the very last quality of all, which is the quality of connection. Yeah. So in those moments of insufficiency, we simply reconnect to the truth that all of who we are embraces I am insufficient, I am enough, the tide and the tide. And you know something else. When the tide goes out, we see the land differently. The other novel I wrote was called Running Backwards Over Sand. Because when we run, our feet make a mark. And where the water meets the land is where is symbolic of where the unconscious is meeting the conscious mind and coming awake. So when the tide is out, we also sometimes see exquisite shells that we would not otherwise see. We sometimes see little creatures, don't we? You know? So the miracle of the tide out is also marvellous. When the tide is out, we can also let our little children, who aren't very tall yet, play at the water's edges. In other words, there are gifts of tide out as there are gifts of tide in. There are gifts of insufficiency because they bring you to your knees and they ask, they force you to ask. For this moment, for this level of maturity, for this nowness of now, for this mindfulness of this, what is needed here? What is needed here? Letting the soul speak. Respecting the soul. Yes, allowing the ego its chair. Yes, allowing the personality self its chair. Yes, absolutely allowing the body to be your teacher, but also letting the soul speak. Om Shanti.